0: Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17. Well, God's mission continues. We heard a story about it a moment ago. God's mission simply continues forth wherever, in whatever situation, we see it extending across the globe now. And that's what Dr. Luke has really been talking to us about. He's been telling us about Paul and his associates as they launch out on this second missionary journey. And uh, they've received direction from God. God has appeared to Paul in this vision and said, I want you to go to Macedonia. And he went to Macedonia, to Philippi in particular. And we looked at three case studies last Sunday night of how the gospel changed people's lives. Whether it was a tender-hearted person or a terrorized individual or a tough heart, God worked in their lives to change them. And there was a great movement of God in Philippi. And that church will continue to minister to Paul. I said a moment ago, that mutual relationship that you have, you go in, you you try to make a difference in the way you uh, minister and the way you share. But you know, those of you who've been, you're ministered to so often, so much more than you could have ever ministered to them. And later on, Paul will acknowledge that as he's writing the letter to the Philippians, he'll talk about how they've been there for him. How he writes and how he gives thanks to them or for them upon every remembrance he has of them. Because that church will become so special to him in the way he's connected in that partnership that he has. Well, he continues on into this Macedonian area, this Greek area. And the Scripture says, verse 1 of chapter 17, Now, when they had passed through in Epiphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ." and some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Now, Dr. Luke tells us that Paul continues this journey and he speaks about him taking this Ignatian way, if you will, the road down to Thessalonica. It's amazing how Dr. Luke describes all these different places for us. I went back and did a little study again just to remind myself of how many countries and how many cities and how many people Dr. Luke tells us about in the book of Acts. I mean, it's really incredible, isn't it? Dr. Luke, the historian, as he, Dr. Luke, the, the one who tells us how the gospel advances, he speaks about, thri- about 30 different countries, 50 different cities. He talks about around 100 people, 60 of which are exclusive to the book of Acts. In other words, you don't find their names anywhere else. And he does it with this thoroughness. He does it with this authenticity. He does it to remind us that the gospel did not end with the resurrection. The gospel did not end with the ascension. But the gospel kept making a difference in people's lives wherever it found root. And he has shown us this. And even in verse 1 as he is going down to Thessalonica, we are reminded of this gospel's movement. That there is nothing that can stop the good news of Christ. There have been challenges. There have been challenges. Political challenges. There have been geographical challenges. There have been racial challenges. There have been spiritual challenges. And yet every one of the barriers have been overcome by the power of the gospel. It kept going. It just kept going. And here he comes to Thessalonica. And notice his strategy. We talked about that some time ago. It says Paul, as his custom was, "...went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures." In other words, he would go into the city, and if the city had a synagogue, like Thessalonica did, then he would go to that synagogue. He would go to that gathering. He knew that he had a natural connecting point there. So he would go to this major city, and he would find that place that he had the natural connection to the people, and he would begin to share. Thessalonica was a major city. In the area. Some people numbered it or said it numbered around 200,000 about this time. And he went in to share the gospel and to demonstrate to them that Jesus was the Christ. The scripture says that he was explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Now, he had to get that across to them. Because remember, most of those who found themselves in the Jewish circles, they were imagining a Messiah that would come riding in, that would be this military leader that would overthrow uh, maybe the Romans, maybe any other uh, any other regime that came against them, and that he would set up this earthly type of kingdom. That's what they were looking forward to. They thought it was going to happen. So when Paul went in, he had to remind them maybe of what Isaiah said about the suffering servant. And he had to show how Jesus had fulfilled all of those prophecies and how it, was, how it was necessary for Jesus to die, to become the one sufficient sacrifice for his people. And how it was also necessary for him to be resurrected because it demonstrated his power over death, hell, and the grave itself. It demonstrated his power to forgive sins. And Paul would go in and he would argue with, in such a way. He would make his case. He would do it, I think, in a thoughtful, reasoned way. And he would allow the Spirit to work among that congregation. Well, he went in, it says, for three Sundays, or three Sabbaths, that is. Three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them. And he spoke about this Christ. And in those three weeks... Again, the movement of the Spirit. It's amazing how God's Spirit speaks and how God's Spirit changes people, especially when you follow the leading of God's Spirit. Right? I mean, the vision had been, go to Macedonia. The Macedonian man had said, come, we need you. We want you to come and speak to us. He goes and he sees these changed lives and... Philippi, and now he's in Thessalonica, and the gospel is making a difference yet again. And there are people who are coming to faith in these three weeks. Now, if you read about Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians, you will have those in different camps. There will be some who will say, well, Dr. Luke said he was three weeks there, and three weeks he must have been, and that was it. There are others that would say there's no way that Paul could have established everything that he did in three weeks. There's no way that he could have ministered in such a way, established a church, had church leadership. There's no way that he could have worked among them and developed the relationships that he did in three weeks. I believe that underestimates the power of the gospel, though. Three weeks, Dr. Luke says... Three weeks, he reasons with them, and he speaks with them. And out of that short-term mission, three weeks, God establishes a church. God establishes a work. Now, it doesn't mean that it's a perfect work, and it doesn't mean that they've got everything figured out because Paul will have to write to them and as you read First Thessalonians and as you read 2 Thessalonians, you'll see that they didn't have all of their theology and their doctrine quite figured out. He'll have to address those areas. But you know what? Just like us, right? We're still growing in our faith. We're still growing and working toward where we should be. None of us have arrived. But thanks, thanks be to God that he has saved us and he has nurtured our faith, and he has grown us to where we are. Thanks be to God for that. And that's what he does here. God demonstrates his power in three weeks, in three weeks. I often think that everybody that was anybody in the churches today, if they could if they could take Paul and they could sit down with him to talk about his church growth strategy about his church multiplication strategy, anybody and everybody would want to do it, right? I mean, could you imagine if he was around today and he had had such results? Uh, let, let's leave for a moment the persecution that he had. We'll talk about it in a moment. But I'm just talking about just pure success of church planting. You don't think we would have him at every conference you could think of? I mean, he would be the headliner, It'd be like, you know, Paul, he's going to be at this conference. Do you know we need all of us to go to that conference? Because Paul, he planted a church that was sustained in three weeks, Thessalonica. I mean, it's amazing to think of all of the things that occurred there in Thessalonica. We we would marvel at it. But again, read 1 Thessalonians. Read that letter. And Paul will remind them as he reminds us that the success was not based upon just his word. It wasn't based upon just his personality. It wasn't based just on his charisma. Actually, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul will talk about how the word came to them in power and how they had received the word as the word of God and that power had transformed them. You see, that is what makes a difference in people's lives. Now, God can use individuals. He can use a preacher. He can use a Sunday school teacher. He can use a church planner. He can use a deacon. He can use you. He can do that. But never forget we are dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to change us. And for us as a church you think about now. It's been uh, almost 90 years. I think next year we will have our 90th celebration at Temple Baptist Church. Uh, We'll gather together. We'll celebrate, and rightly we should. We'll hear Dwight talk about those founding days and what it was like back then. It'd be a wonderful thing for us to hear. And yes, there were people that made a difference in the organization of this church. And through the years, there's been individuals who've made a difference. I never diminished the the work and the contributions others have made. But understand that we are ultimately dependent upon God and His power and His work among us as a people to change us and to transform us. And to make us who we should be. You see, he preached, he reasoned for three weeks, and God's power was evident in his ministry and his life. And God's word went forth, and there were those who came and accepted Christ. Well, as I pointed out before, not everybody, though, is a fan of the gospel. And the post Christian. The PC world we live in, which is really a post-Christian world now, especially in our country, I think, we recognize that the gospel is not already or not always received well. It says in verse 5, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these have turned the world upside down. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So things began to change. People began to get uncomfortable. They began to describe the change as the world being turned upside down. It was as though things had just things had just been transformed, and they couldn't understand and they couldn't see these Jews, Jewish people, when and they stirred up others to come against the disciples. Let me just say to you if only our ministry if only our ministry could turn the world upside down in such a way you know here they come and they say well they're saying there's another king caesar's not king but there's another king the king who is jesus remember they make this same charge basically against jesus himself remember treason he's claiming to be some earthly king And yet, we're reminded, Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. He wasn't to become the next Caesar. He didn't have to be. You see, Jesus was already king above Caesar. And that's what the others could not simply understand because their minds were all caught up in earthly kingdoms and earthly powers and 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 if they're transforming things and they're talking about a king surely he is threatening our certainly he's threatening our very structure well Jesus threatens our structure but he threatens our structure within of how we respond to him and how we see ourselves and yes as that works itself out guess what other structures do change in our community, and in our life. But Jesus is not just simply about earthly kingdoms. He's about the spiritual kingdom. He is about making a difference in our lives that will play itself out here on this earth. It says they've turned the world upside down. You know, I am, of many things, a political junkie. I, I I love to watch and read. I will tell you, though, for my own health, my own benefit, I just have to turn the television off sometimes. There you go. And Leslie is very proud of me when I do, by the way. But I, I've always loved that kind of stuff, and I've always kind of somebody uh, when we were in Hungary had me, like, trying to name the states, and I could do all 50 states, kind of fill them in. And uh, they said, well, you're pretty good at that or something to that effect. And I said, you know, the reason is because I'm always trying to figure out the electoral college. And if this is going to win, that's terrible. I know it's sad life. It is sad. It is sad. It is sad. Leslie says, this is no fun living with you. I'll just tell you. But I get caught up in all that kind of stuff sometimes. Think about, it. oh, if we can only change this and we can only change that. Now, yes, I do believe. We just celebrated the 4th of July and talked about our nation. I do believe we have a responsibility as as citizens to vote and to participate. God has given us such a great ability to do that. I mean, we should never take our freedom for granted, and we ought to participate in what's going on. But God has to constantly remind me that National revival and cultural change will not come through the political process. He will not. It's not going to happen. If your faith is in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, your faith is misplaced. The only one that can turn the world upside down is Jesus Christ. And Christ is the one that has to work through us to make A difference, but what he's doing—he's not trying to just create another earthly kingdom. He is wanting to do something much more significant than that. He's wanting us to build his kingdom, one life at a time, one community at a time, one city at a time, one nation at a time—something that will spread across this globe. That's what Paul was doing. He was going in every city every area that he could to take the gospel of Christ because it was so important. And yes, as we'll see, as we've already seen in the book of Acts, when God gets a hold of people's lives and the power is revealed, when change is made individually, it works itself out in the community and, yes, even in the world itself. They come against, they come against Paul. But the gospel has already been planted. And while he will be moved, just know the gospel, well, it found root in Thessalonica. As we know, the church was uh, formed. It was developed. People came to know Christ. Later on, Paul will write again in his letter, and he, he will say that the word of their example, the word of their faith had gone out echoing is the word that's used echoing all throughout the Greek area, their faith and their trust over that ministry. Well, he moved on. It said that after they had uh, taken security, that's basically a bond from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Well, we expected that, right? Because the synagogue was there. These were more fair-minded Some translations may say they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. (laughs) you got to love this congregation. It says they were more noble, more open-minded to what he had to say. Now, that's a great attribute, being open-minded. But, as Dr. Travis used to say, you should never be so open-minded that your brain falls. Your brains fall out. They were open-minded, but they evaluated everything according to the Scripture. In other words, they weren't about to receive things. that were outside the line of Scripture. And they searched the Scripture. That's the reason you see today even churches that are named Berea, and you think, why are they named Berea? They're not in a community called Berea. It is because those churches, maybe when they were formed, they wanted to be like this congregation in that they searched the Scriptures. I'm afraid we're missing out on that part of testing and evaluating things today. We wonder why our country's kind of going in the direction. It's partly because our churches have gone in this direction. Today, anything and everything passes as acceptable, doctrinally. Today, there are so many that will say, even in our churches, well, you know, we got to be more open-minded. That might have said that in Scripture then, but you know, now, we got to be more progressive in our thinking. My friends, do you recognize how much pride is in that very thought? Some people will look... Some of us sometimes and say, how prideful is it to think that you're the only way? That And by the way, I don't think I'm the only way as far as just being Baptist. I'm the only way because I've believed in Christ and followed him. <laughs> That's the only way, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, How can you be so dogmatic about certain things and what it says? This is, I mean, that was written then and you're so prideful. No, 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 no. I'll tell you what pride is. Pride is elevating yourself above the Word of God and above what God has said to you in your life and determining for yourself what is right and wrong instead of listening to Him. That's pride. And here, they searched the Scriptures. They searched the Scriptures. I encourage you, whatever preacher you ever hear, whether it's this preacher or another preacher here at Temple or it's a preacher on television or it's a preacher in another church, You ought to search the Scriptures, test what is being said by the standard of God's Word. It says, but as they searched, therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Notice this. God is reaching men and women. Last week we talked about the different kinds of lines, and we talked about Lydia at Philippi. God's reaching men and women. He's reaching people of all socioeconomic levels. He's reaching different ones through the good news. Well, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was being preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. And immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there, and those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed They departed. Just reminding me of this. Even when persecution comes, that barrier of persecution, and uh, trying to stop the gospel, we've seen it before in the book of Acts, what happens? God uses that for his good. They're trying to stamp out the gospel, get them gone, get them out of the town, run them out. That's fine. The gospel's already taken root, and now... The missionary team will just move on, preaching the good news. God takes persecution and he uses it, he redeems it for his glory to simply keep the missionary team moving. It's a beautiful portrait of God's work, of his salvation, of his building churches, of his moving his mission and his gospel, it's a beautiful picture of how God continues to work. God keeps working in us too. And God continues to save people. How wonderful it was to see six this morning being baptized. God continues to do that in our families and in our church and our community. In the cities where we've sent sin teams. In the missionary efforts that we're making overseas. God continues to work. and He continues to show His strength. Let's give Him praise and glory. Let's continue to lift up His work as we sense His gospel going forth in our community and beyond. Let's pray together. Father, thank You tonight for Your Word. Thank You for the blessing of it. And God, tonight we pray that wherever we are, in our workplace tomorrow, Lord, in our family tonight, maybe in our, Lord, trip to L.A. or trip overseas, God, I pray that wherever we are, that as we share your good news, that, Lord, it would make a difference in people's lives and it would turn people's lives upside down. Lord, placing you at the top and, Lord, us at the bottom. Father, we pray that we'd seek you and your priority and your purpose. Speak to us now. Help us to respond. Help us to reflect. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand tonight as so we have this hymn of invitation? Maybe God wants you just to come and pray. Pray for somebody. Pray uh, with a minister. Maybe tonight you just need to commit yourself to a certain aspect of his work in your life. Would you just be obedient and come as he calls you? Let's see. Let's